Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders. Uh, welcome to the show. We're expecting to have Liz Loza of Yahoo Sports as a guest today to do the Week 9 uh, previews. She hasn't popped on just yet, but we're going to keep an eye out on her. And because there's so many games, there's so much great stuff to talk about, I can actually probably keep us <laughs> keep us going for quite a bit of time, even if I'm not necessarily as entertaining as Liz would be. But why don't we go ahead and get started with uh, the first game on Sunday, Browns at Bengals, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Cincinnati. It's going to be 56 degrees and clear. Obviously, maybe the major news um, of the of the week so far for the Browns is that they are going to end up releasing Odell Beckham today on Friday. If it hasn't happened already, he's going to be done with the team. And so theoretically, that should open up a lot of op- opportunities for other players on the team. But I was kind of curious about this from the Beckham front, that his his target share is a lot lower than you might have expected so far this season at just 18.4% in his healthy games. That's outside the top 45 among wide receivers. Now, I will say that Jarvis Landry has had eight and 10 targets the last couple of weeks after returning from a knee sprain. And great, Liz is here. Hey, Liz, how are you? Welcome back. Thank you. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. We kind of hit us under the fire reel here. We are in the middle of the Browns at Bengals game here talking about Odell Beckham uh, being released from the team. Is there any other receiver or any other player on the team that you think will benefit from that to then become relevant from a fantasy perspective the rest of this season? Well, I heard you talking about target share, and I wanted to touch on that quickly because you Mm -hmm. also mentioned that Jarvis Landry coming back from the knee injury has seen an inflated amount of looks flirting with double-digit targets. And I think a lot of that also has to do with Kareem Hunt being absent from the lineup. Okay, interesting. You know, I think Aditi Kingabawala, one of the best in the business, reported, and this was a point she made, that the Browns run, and it's a great reminder, a um, a, a timing offense, a timing-based offense. And OBJ is out there freelancing. So even if he may look open, it may not be a chemistry issue between he and Baker. And I think that has kind of affected his target, uh, yeah. his target share, because if he's not in the place that he is supposed to be in a rhythm and timing offense, well, then he's not going to be fed the ball. So the question then is like, who could benefit? Now, obviously, we know the Browns want to run the ball first, especially if you're dealing with the rhythm and timing offense, because that's the kind of system that allows Baker Mayfield to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little bit reticent to say that any of these guys, it'll sort of, I imagine it outside of Landry, especially as I mentioned with Hunt out, it'll be a right. spread it around kind of affair. But I do have particular interest in Donovan Peoples-Jones. I really liked him at Michigan, frankly. And I think had he not, you know, um, maybe drank the Kool-Aid that Harbaugh (laughs) was serving and went to Ohio State, he might have fared a little little better in the draft. That being said, you know, he's actually the second, he's second in wide receiver snaps, just two snaps total behind OBJ on the season. Um, He hasn't been on the field as the same time as Jarvis. Uh, Actually, week one, they were on the field in the same time, but they're, groin issue for dpj and the knee issue for landry has prevented them from coexisting on the field um and the stat line like he caught one ball for four yards in week one so that's not great but he did uh he did do pretty well before he was hurt um and so i would imagine in you know if we look at weeks five and six and his ability to not freelance to follow his assignments i think that he might be the receiver that if i was desperate I'd be most willing 
to focus on, but I don't think any of these guys are even close to a sure thing. Yeah, I, th I think I'm with you both on the front that I think Peoples-Jones is a very talented receiver. He was actually a huge standout in the combine and all kinds of athletic measurements. So you would think that in a more feature type of role in an offense that he really could become a real NFL receiver. But even when he was playing mostly full-time, you're right, early in the season when Jarvis Landry was sidelined, he was outside the top 75 of among wide receivers with a 10.6% target share. The Browns rely on three tight ends. So like, I just think there's too much of a crowd, even without Beckham, for any of these guys to really pop from a fantasy perspective. And so I'm saying from a DFS perspective this week that Nick Chubb, as is pretty obvious and typical, is probably the guy I would look at the most. He's 6,700 in DraftKings. I think that's actually pretty dramatically underpriced, 1,100 underpriced. And the main reason is that without Kareem Hunt, Dearness Johnson is still involved. But I think the the... The shares are tilted a little bit more towards Chubb than you would normally see with Hunt. He outtouched Johnson 17 to 5 last week and has had a 69.6% carry share in week eight. That was seventh highest among running backs. He's normally a little bit over 50% when both he and Hunt are active together. So I think it's probably a good week to use Chubb. Do you feel the same way? Oh, I don't think there is a bad week to use Chubb. I think <laughs> he is. I mean, if we're talking about talent, probably the best pure rusher in the NFL. And if Kareem Hunt, his you know, RB2 sidekick isn't available, then I would have to agree. I will also mention, though, if I'm looking at Yahoo DFS pricing, he is yes. $31, which is the third most expensive running back in our game behind CMC and Kamara. And by the way, just for context, only a dollar more than Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, and Dalvin Cook. So he is not at all underpriced <laughs> in the Yahoo game. Well, so, I mean, Yahoo's got the price that I was really expecting to see for him in all these formats. <laughs> yeah. so maybe there was some reticence because of the, you know, the recent track record of injuries, but he's back and looks really good. So I, I have zero concerns and would use him in those formats where he's a little bit less expensive. Uh, next on the docket, we've got the Broncos at Cowboys, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Dallas in the Dome. Uh, I think Dak Prescott's going to probably play in this game, Liz, but I was curious if you thought that Cooper Rush's very fantasy-friendly 325-yard game, he had two touchdowns and a spot start. If Prescott ends up missing more time, and he's still got the lingering ankle issue, has had the shoulder stuff in the preseason, would would Rush be good enough here that you would trust all of his other the, the Cowboys skill players from a fantasy perspective? Well, I think they would probably take a hit, right? And it would be mm -hmm. matchup dependent, depend, you know, what kind of secondary are we facing? Um, it is not abnormal to see a rookie quarterback or a yeah, I shouldn't say rookie, a young quarterback without much tape on him surprise an opposing defense and throw them off their game plan, right? So yeah. if we saw enough Cooper rush, do I think opposing defenses would be able to adjust? Absolutely. I think in a spot start, we obviously saw a different result. And we're going to talk about a backup quarterback who only has uh, seven career complete, <laughs> uh, seven career attempts to his name and a little bit later. So, you know, I also think though the other half of that though is when you have incredible talent, we have seen incredible talent, New Hopkins immediately comes to mind, drag quarterbacks into production. And so, oh, yeah. you know, you've, you're so loaded at pass catcher in Dallas that I would not, this isn't a situation like a Brandon Cooks, Davis Mills situation where I'm like, oh, you gotta, you gotta sit him. Um, but I think you do imagine a cap ceiling. And I think you'll take the a giant uh, Amari Cooper stat line from last oh, week yeah. is the anomaly. Absolutely. I think that's true. But I will say like compared to say Andy Dalton for this team last year, I do think it's a little bit of a different scenario because of the health of the offensive line. 
So two oh. years ago, they had an 18.9% offensive pressure rate. That was fifth lowest per pro football reference. Last year, it jumped up to 21.6%, kind of middle of the pack. This year, back down to 15.4% is the third lowest. So I know Tyron Smith is probably going to miss this week. He's got a bone spur in his ankle. But by and large, these guys are much healthier than they were last season. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're looking at the, like, wow, Dak was dramatically better than all of his backups last season, is it because Dak is just that good? I mean, he is that good. But it, it seems like a much friendlier situation for the offense this season if Dak did miss more time. So I don't think it's totally a coincidence that Rush had such a good debut game. And I think those guys, like, you know, your Coopers, like you mentioned, would probably be pretty okay in fantasy if that ended up happening again. Yeah, I definitely agree. I also think the defense is helping them out as well, right? There's a little more balance to the squad in general. Absolutely. Speaking of that defense, I'm suggesting Jerry Judy is a possible DFS option for this week. Uh, In particular, he's less expensive at 5,800 and FanDuel than I was expecting. But this is a little bit trickier. As you mentioned, the Cowboys defense has been much better. And Judy has has played just the one game since his early Mm -hmm. season foot injury, uh, had four targets and 39 yards. So not a huge debut there, but played 72% of the offensive snaps. I'm taking that as a good sign that maybe he's back to full health, even if the target share wasn't there. But what do you think? I mean, I think when you look at the quarterback and the talent that Judy has and the skill set that he boasts, then yes, I am feeling better about that. I actually think the interesting play for the Denver side of the Denver pass catchers is Albert O, because as you you mentioned, like the Dallas Cowboys cornerbacks, Trayvon Smith, like these, uh, I'm sorry, Trayvon Diggs um, are pretty good against the wide receivers. And I think that's where the bulk of the defensive attention is going to go. And we know if we look back at week one, Teddy Bridgewater does not mind mm-hmm. Albert O in the red zone. And he certainly is the kind of quarterback that uh, Nat, that reaches for a big body for over the middle, like a bit of a security blanket. And Noah Fant is on the COVID list. It's expected that he is not going to be able to produce those back-to-back negative test results, which would elevate Alberto. Team loves him, and he is just $10, which is the minimum price in Yahoo DFS. Guy, if Noah Fant's ruled out, I would absolutely love Alberto at that price in Yahoo. I mean, it's a total steal. He's, I mean, given his huge size and how reliant the team is on him in the red zone, you just feel like he would have one of the best chances to score at the position right. this week, which is, I mean, at that price, it's, it's really hard to beat. I would love that. Okay, next up, Texans at Dolphins, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Miami, 75 degrees and clear, but with the potential for a little bit of wind, 13 miles per hour. Uh, Liz, do you think the Texans can recapture their early season success now that Tyrod Taylor is presumably going to be back starting at quarterback? Uh, he's He really only played the two weeks, maybe really more one and a half weeks, but week one mm-hmm. looked really good. They won 37 to 21, uh, but playing the Jaguars, obviously they're the worst team by pass defense DVOA metrics. So I don't know how much was the matchup and how much was Taylor maybe working in this offense. I mean, first of all, can we just say that this matchup, the Texans at Dolphins <laughs> is the sneakiest, best, worst matchup. Like I am so excited for these under the radar, uh, like, wide receiver three QB two, like the, the landscape of barrenness of fantasy barrenness to like have potential <laughs> to pop. There are so many great sleepers available in this one. Um, So in regards to Taylor, like I think when you look at Miami and how they've been just getting dusted in the secondary, we also have to think about the fact that they're getting a little bit healthier now and they're putting their clamps down. But mm-hmm. I found this stat, which I thought was ironic. Um, the Dolphins are allowing an average, and again, they're getting healthier, so uh, let's preface this, but they're currently allowing an average of 291 passing yards per game, and that's exactly what Taylor threw for versus the Jags. And 
this is the other piece of it. Like this is the this is the temptation, if you will. Last week the Finns gave up 55 rushing yards and a ground score to Josh Allen, right? They completely focused on the mm. aerial attack. But we know that Tyrod Taylor's got wheels. My only hesitation is we also know that he injured his hamstring on the rushing touchdown that he managed at towards the uh, what it, towards the end of the first half in week two. So yeah. I don't know if he'll be reluctant to run because he's coming off of an injury. And in fact, it was the rushing that got him in trouble. But we know that the matchup allows for that sort of ground production. And we know that he has that in his in his tool belt. Yeah, it's it's interesting because from a fantasy perspective, I've always focused on Taylor as the runner because I guess when he was a starter for the Bills, right. it, it wasn't like all over the NFL where all the quarterbacks were running as much where it's so beneficial in fantasy. But I will say that from a passing perspective, at least from an efficiency perspective, he has been dramatically better as a starter in his career than Davis Mills was so far this season. Negative 22.3% passing DVOA for Mills is the fourth worst of the 33 qualified quarterbacks this season. Taylor, I'm not going to put a ton of stock in that 25% DVOA from weeks one and two as mentioned the Jaguars were heavily a part of that and their pat their bad pass defense but 9.8 percent negative 2.1 percent and negative seven percent were his passing DVA rates as three seasons as the primary starter for the Bills 2015 to 2017 so I honestly think that even though Taylor you're probably focused on the running from his own fantasy perspective he may be a better quarterback to like boost the value of his teammates and maybe have the Texans score some more points and stuff. And I, you know, I don't know if that's going to hit a secondary pass catcher like a Nico Collins. I don't think I'm ready to go that far yet, but I do think that Taylor may be like a little bit transformative for the Texans, which I mean, from this game, it may be more in for the Dolphins side of things that the Texans are a little bit more competent offensively. That's for right. DFS, and for DFS, I'm saying that Miles Gaskin seems like a good play here. I mean, the Texans, they're a team that other teams tend to build a lead on and can run more in the second half to kill clock. Gaskin has seen 15 and 12 carries the last two weeks since Malcolm Brown went on IR, had only had double-digit carries once the first six weeks. But like, what happens if the Texans build a lead? That could really change things. How do you see this, on, this playing out, Liz? I, I mean, that's the joy of it, though. You have to imagine, though, with Tyrod Taylor, we're expecting a lift from the Texans, so there'll be a little bit more back and forth here. And it's not like Tua doesn't have something to prove in Houston. I have to imagine that he is going to go out with some bravado. And I mean, I have this whole image of him wearing his Bose headphones, listening to the latest Lizzo and Cardi B single, which is called <laughs> Rumors, and like just really trying to slay. And if we're mentioning like the pass catching pieces or the or the parts of um, the Texans that we're most interested in, we have to have a conversation uh, about Brandon Cooks, who, believe it mm -hmm. or not, even with Davis Mills under center is on pace for another thousand yard season. I mean, this guy doesn't matter what uniform he's wearing. It doesn't matter what quarterback is throwing to him. He is going to give you a thousand yard season and averaging 73 yards per game. He would hit that. Uh, he would hit 1100 yards, even in a 16 week season. So it's not the extra week. That's going to give him the bunch, the bump. And so I yeah. think that cooks, who's only $18 in the Yahoo game could flirt with 80 yards and a touchdown this week. So, I mean, Cooks has had, he's basically been over 25% uh, target share all season. He's top five. I mean, he's up there, not quite in the Devontae Adams range, but like not far behind the Cooper Cups of the world in target share. So you got to figure if Tyrod is any kind of upgrade as a passer to him, then suddenly he really could be like a real wide receiver one in fantasy. So, you know, it is less expensive prices. This could be a real difference maker. I completely agree with you there. Oh, and to answer your question about Gaskin, he is my yeah. running back 22. So I am hedging okay. a little bit, but Fair. imagining that he's a solid RB2. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I think even Salvin Ahmed might be a kind of a deeper league value yeah. there too. But again, like you said, this is a really surprisingly intriguing game that I could see going either way. So maybe build some lineups some ways and some the other. Uh, next up on the list, though, Falcons at Saints, 1 p.m. Eastern time in New Orleans in the Dome. So I originally was going to ask you all about Taysom Hill. I was very excited to see him starting again. Uh, he had averaged 21.2 fantasy points per game as a fill-in last year which would have made him a top 10 quarterback this season in fantasy. But it looks like before the show, Trevor Simeon ended up getting announced as the starting quarterback. So like, honestly, Liz, I don't know. Is there any like fantasy value to glean from that? Like obviously Hill would have been bad news for his receivers from a fantasy perspective, mm -hmm. but what about Simeon? It's like, he probably isn't a, like necessarily a starting worthy quarterback in the general sense. So like, is there a Marquez Callaway that you like, or maybe this is just good news for Alvin Kamara because he'll get more work in the goal line. I don't know if you have any thoughts about any of that. I think that's it. I think that Alvin Kamara's um, receiving value stays inflated like we still like it it's still it's still up there um because last year Kamara's did manage a rushing touchdown against Atlanta in weeks 11 and 13 but obviously Taysom was the story and I don't think I think he drew a total of four targets in those two games Kamara did so I do like this um and we know that we know what Simeon is I mean also there's obviously like a vast space between but like late career Drew Brees and Trevor mm -hmm. Simeon they have some stuff in common, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, we kind of know what the deal is here. So at least you don't have Michael Thomas. So you don't have the slant king able to benefit from Simeon or, or, or lift this offense. And you're not going to have him for the rest of the season. Again, I think we've seen, even with Jameis Winston, different skill set, obviously, a spread it around kind of offense. And maybe Sean Payton, who certainly is capable of drawing up a, a crazy opus as he did in week one and last week against Tampa Bay, uh, might trick us mm -hmm. somewhere or might find some creative plays, but I don't think there's anything we can rely on outside of Alvin Kamara, the running game, and also the defense. I agree. And it's, it's like part of it with Winston is while we know he's one of the more talented quarterbacks in the league and had some really successful fantasy seasons back with the Buccaneers, he was throwing just a lot fewer pass attempts per game than all the other major quarterbacks. And it seems like the Saints have really embraced the fact that they have one of the best defenses in football and we're kind of mm -hmm. gearing their game toward that, toward running with Alvin Kamara, which again, kind of made the clock bleed a little bit more quickly. So like, I, I think you're already not leaning towards starting Trevor Simeon. And honestly, given the fact that Hill is healthy and is probably going to be available, I'm sure he may end up playing more than he even That's played right. with Winston. And so like, you know, if, if Simeon's only throwing 20 passes per game and then maybe you're mixing Hill in, like, you know, he's not going to be worthy to start as a quarterback, but if he had been kind of in the old days when he was tied in eligible, maybe he would have more value there. But <laughs> it kind of it kind of erases all of the value that the Saints might have from a, from a fantasy perspective, except for Kamara, who may be just as terrific as ever, despite the, the presumed downgrade as a, as a quarterback there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was also going to rely on Taysom Hill as my major DraftKings play here, uh, so I don't have that. Liz, is there anybody that stands out from you from the Yahoo pricing that may be a good fit in this game? Uh, Maybe from the Falcons side of things? I don't know. The Saints have one of the best run defenses in football, so I'm a little bit less inclined to use Corderell Patterson than I normally would, even though he's catching so many passes. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really ready to, like, mess with Russell Gage or mm -hmm. Zacchaeus Olamides wouldn't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Kyle Pitts is, uh, I think, the mm -hmm. second most expensive. And I also had Hill at $22 in Yahoo DFS. So yeah. I think this is a, a situation that you might want to just lean against. Maybe a stay away unless you want to ride yeah. some of these defenses in, in some of your fantasy leagues where that makes a little bit more sense. 
Uh, let me take a quick break to mention that uh, with Football Outsiders, we're streaming live 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can chat with us live on, uh, on, on YouTube, but you can also catch us on Twitch, on Twitter, and on Facebook, whatever your preference is. We'd love to have you here. Um, I'm on Tuesdays and Fridays doing Fantasy Talk, but then you've got guys like Aaron Schatz and Mike Tanier doing all kinds of other stuff during the week. So catch us every day. We really appreciate it. Also, FO Plus right now is on special, uh, 99 cents per week. Um, for an annual subscription, you can get all kinds of great stuff, including my fantasy projections and a lot of other data DVOA related stuff that you would really enjoy. Be sure to check that out. Liz, let's keep going with some of the games still in the 1 p.m. window. We've got the Raiders at Giants, 1 p.m. Eastern time in New York, 52 degrees and clear. Uh, the major storyline here, unfortunately, it's a, it's a bad situation here with Henry Ruggs no longer being on the team. Let's not worry so much about the off the field stuff, but talk about what may happen to the Raiders on the field because of the loss of Ruggs. Ruggs was seeing a 14% target share, which, I mean, isn't that high in the sense of a fantasy receiver standpoint, but was probably the number one wide receiver for the team from fantasy perspective. So do you think there's anybody that may benefit from his absence from a fantasy perspective? I mean, you sent me your notes before the game, and so I know your answer. And I feel like like the left coast version of Jamison Crowder does not offer me enough upside to want to bite. Like <laughs> Understood. I, don't, I don't care if I don't care if Hunter <laughs> Renfro catches like seven passes. I was seven passes for 70 yards. Like that's a fine wide receiver three. To me, this is an opportunity. Also, people are talking about like the targets, how they're going to be. Has everyone forgotten because he's had an ankle injury that Darren Waller is the target mm. king in Las Vegas? I mean, I, I looked up some numbers and oh, also we have to mention that Zay Jones is expected to replace Henry Ruggs mm. as the team Z. If you feel comfortable uh, relying on Zay Jones, then I have some property in Florida I'd like to show <laughs> you. The two Absolutely. Games, <laughs> right, The two games in which Bisaccia has been the head coach, both Ruggs and Brian Edwards, drew four targets a piece and obviously mm -hmm. there is no Darren Waller in that week seven game so there isn't a bevy of targets here that are suddenly going to be vacuumed up by one of these receivers but if we are looking at talent I was a, a Brian Edwards stand coming out um uh in 2020 right and so I yeah. think that there's an opportunity for him to not be so hidden frankly it does require a shift in offensive mentality because his skill set is not at all like Henry Ruggs's but he is a physical outside presence and I think that allows I mean if he um can kind of work the outside a little bit then you have Darren Waller streaking down the middle and being used as a wide receiver I think that he might be the guy that I'm more interested in because of the upside available versus a Hunter mm -hmm. Renfro. Yeah, I want to agree with you. And also, Edwards seems like the type of player that would be better suited for a fantasy perspective. He's bigger. He can win in contested catch situations. You might think then that he might get a little bit more red zone usage than kind of a downfield speedster. The problem is, like, as you mentioned, he's, you know, he's already been playing 75% or more of snaps all season and has a 12.1% target shares outside the top 80 among wide receivers. That's going to go up, I mean, for sure, uh, without Ruggs on the team. But it's a long road from there to being fantasy relevant when Ruggs was kind of on the periphery of fantasy relevant, then even as the number one guy on the team. So... I'm not, I mean, I, I guess I agree with you. I'm not sure any of these guys really stands out to me from a fantasy perspective. I said that Hunter Renfro might be a bit of a value at his prices. He's 56 in, in FanDuel, for instance. I think that's $700 underpriced, but that doesn't suddenly make him like a top 10 or even top 20 option from a PPR perspective. Like this isn't Cooper Cup, right? Um, right. 
you know, he's going to have probably a good number of targets, but not like Darren Waller. And it's probably not going to be a huge difference maker, just kind of a subtle value thing here. Uh, so is there anybody that you think makes more sense from a Giants perspective, or are we just pretty much waiting on the injuries to unfold here? I mean, I'm I'm liking Kadarius Tony. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, you know, he's got the thumb issue, but he managed to tweet just fine. So I'm a mad. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going <laughs> to guess that it's that it's all right, that it's all healed up and not too sore. Uh, Sterling Shepard obviously would be with Sterling Shepard not available. Mm-hmm. We saw in the second half of last week's game, Tony start to get peppered a little bit more. I don't think the plan was to bring him back from the ankle injury as quickly that as yeah. he was because of Shepard's exit. Um, but I do th- like I love what he does. I think he has a chance to rip off a big play every single week. And so um, I, I I would probably take me fifteen dollars right now mm-hmm. in the Yahoo game. And just for context, that is one dollar less than Hunter Renfro. Hard to argue with that value. And honestly, when Shepard missed time a couple of weeks ago, I think Tony was seeing something like a target on about a, f- a fourth of his total snaps. It was like a completely outrageous rate when he was playing from the slot as a replacement directly for Shepard. I would feel better about it if you knew how healthy he was. Um, and the fact that the Giants are coming on by after this week, uh, I think it's going to make it hard to extract long-term value there. Hopefully Shepard can get healthy too. So honestly, the Giants are still kind of a point of confusion for me about how this team is going to unfold if they can all get healthy. Or then again, maybe they won't all get healthy. It's just kind of been one thing after another for the team so far this season, Sad to say. All right, let's move on to the next game. We have the Patriots at Panthers, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Carolina, 60 degrees and clear. My major question and storyline here, Liz, is has Damian Harris become a trustworthy RB2? By and large, he's been very successful and seen a lot of touches, 14 to 25 touches in six of his eight games, but had that spurt of 10 carries for just 10 yards combined in weeks three and four. So I think that that's kind of delayed everyone's Mm. acceptance of him as a really good option. But what do you think? Do you think that those two games were matchup specific or or maybe just kind of bad luck or what was the situation? Well, I don't think that it's the the delay in trusting him has anything to do with him. I think it has something Mm. to do with his play caller. Um, and the reputation surrounding the Patriots backfield and how they're not one to be trusted. Right. Um, but I do like Damian Harris. I love Damian Harris in Alabama. I mean, we just talked about the Raiders and we didn't mention Josh Jacob, his former Mm -hmm. teammate at Alabama. In fact, it was Damian Harris who was the RB one for that squad. I, I, you know, he's, um, like a what is what is that phrase like um a, a, a jack of all trades but a master mm-hmm. of none he is capable and to me that is the perfect patriots back especially when you have a rookie like Ramondre Stevenson who pops but then gets in trouble JJ Taylor gets uh you know benched once it gets a, is a scratch once in a while mm-hmm. you, you can't kind of figure out that and then Brandon Bolin and who we thought was the James White play in the offense ends up drawing zero targets last week right <laughs> so uh but but through that all at least through the last three games, Damian Harris has been consistent. He's found the end zone and hit 80 yards for three straight weeks. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, that was Dallas, the Giant, uh, D- Dallas, the Jets, and the Chargers. So we know that the Jets and Chargers, you can certainly run against. But he also has eight breakaway runs on the season. That's the RB3 for that statistical category. And he is seeing a light front nearly 64% of the time. Ooh, to me... Good. That is the best stat. So I'm like, all right, well, do I think that he's a superstar talent? No. Is he more than capable? Yes. And if he's not getting pressured regularly, then I, he's finding enough daylight to be productive. 
And you mentioned some of the good recent matchups that may be scaring people away a little bit, but I would say that the, that 10 carry 10 yard stretch in weeks three and four, that was just like extremely bad matchups. That was against the saints and the bucks. They're second and fourth in DVOA run defense. And they both cut run plays significantly. The bucks actually cut run plays by 44%, the most in football. Basically teams have given up even trying to run against that team. So I'm not going to blame him too much for matchups where I didn't expect him to really, you know, have a ton of work and to really succeed. So I, I'm definitely a lot more optimistic going, going forward and do trust him, even with what you're saying about the Patriots being kind of not the most trustworthy play calling team for the fantasy benefits of the running backs. I'll mention too that this week's matchup against the Panthers, while the Panthers do have a good defense overall, it's really skewed more towards pass defense. They're sixth in DVOA pass defense versus 19th in run defense. Adding guys like Stephon Gilmore is probably only going to help the passing defense more. So I think the Patriots may go into this game with a plan to run the ball. And I actually think Harris makes a lot of sense this week. Are you reading the matchup in kind of a similar way? Oh my gosh, it's the Stephon Gilmore revenge game. Revenge game, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> you know, a hundred percent. I think, uh, and also it, it, a lot is going to depend, I think on Christian McCaffrey's availability. Mm -hmm. I know you're about to talk to him a little bit later. Like there are mixed reports. Some say he should make it on the field. Some say maybe not. Um, I, I'm curious, like, how are you, I, as someone who does have CMC rostered, like, how mm -hmm. are you managing this situation? I mean, it's really been frustrating. I've actually po I pointed him out as a potential DFS value last week when he didn't even end up getting uh, activated from IR. So it's really difficult to say. Like, I do think the offense is really designed to feature him both in the running and the passing game. I mean, I'm not breaking ground with this this news oh. here. So like every week that he's active, I'm going to be absolutely eager to play him and even play him from a DFS angle. But I mean, it, it's going to be tough. You know, in this week too, with the, op the possibility that Sam Darnold may not even play dealing with this concussion. Like if you have PJ Walker back there, there. Uh, while he's kind of a fun athletic quarterback, I'm not sure exactly if he's the best option for you for, for unleashing Christian McCaffrey. Uh, so I, it's tough. Like I pointed him out as a value at $8,000 in DraftKings. It's been interesting that in DraftKings, his, his salary has decreased a lot from the beginning of the year when he was around you know, like 9,500, 9,900. Whereas in FanDuel, it stayed the same. I don't know if you know in Yahoo, if his, if his salaries have been going down, but oh, it no, seems he's like the most expensive running okay. back. So like that's, it's interesting that DraftKings has taken a different tactic there than, than the other platforms, but uh, it's tough. Like I could, honestly, I could see the Patriots coming into Carolina and winning this game pretty handily, which is normally not good news from a running back, but at least with McCaffrey, you would potentially get the catches uh, so like, I guess my, my moral of the story is I wouldn't trust Chuba Hubbard in this spot from a fantasy perspective, but I would roll with McCaffrey and be somewhat confident even with the injury situation if he does play. Yeah, it's also just worth mentioning uh, to Damian Harris's point, the over under mm -hmm. on this game is 41. So we're not expecting fireworks yeah. by any mean. And the Patriots are favored by three and a half with and it'll be interesting to see if PJ Walker is officially named the starter, if the spread on that changes anymore. Interesting to see because Darnold has also been one of the three least efficient passers by DVOA. So it may not be the huge downgrade you might expect the way that other teams would see from their starter to their secondary quarterback. But who knows? The Panthers have some issues, I would say, beyond just McCaffrey being out. <laughs> I could say that as a Panthers fan, too. Oh, okay. All right. Next up, Bills at Jaguars, 1 p.m. Eastern time, Jacksonville, 58 degrees and clear with a little bit of wind, 11 miles per hour. Nothing too serious there, though. Uh, Liz, Cole Beasley had a great game last week, 10 catches and 110 yards on 13 targets. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting, I think, that he was playing without normal tight end Dawson Knox being available, who's become a real featured option for the team this season. So do you think Beasley can be 
kind of a fill in for Knox, if not in the sense that he's a similar build or anything, but just kind of a feature target while Knox misses another few games with his broken hand. Or do you think that was kind of a matchup concern or something else? I, I understand the 10 catches and the 110 yards and people being like, oh my gosh, this is it. But not a single mm-hmm. one of those looks was in the red area of the field. And Dawson That's very Knox- true. Mm-hmm. is always has always <laughs> that touchdown upside in fact and i had written about this in my sleepers column heading into week eight i expected gabriel davis to be the red zone option for josh allen and in fact he did score he the did. target yep. volume not very high at all but the but they were all um high value targets and i think mm-hmm. that that's the difference that you have to negotiate here like do you want a bunch of hunter renfro cole beasley i think cole beasley's obviously like a little bit better than Hunter Renfro, but do you want a bunch of targets or do you want a fewer number and have them be higher value? It's also worth mentioning in that game that Emmanuel Sanders didn't catch a single ball. (laughs) He he did not. Right. And that is not consistent. In fact, Emmanuel Sanders, I believe is leading the wide receiver core, even ahead of Stefan Diggs in, in total snaps. So we know that he is a huge part of the game plan. I would say that that's probably an anomaly, probably matchup based and also not something I'm interested in when again, none of those targets out of 13 had any high value stakes to them. Yeah. And I think the Sanders point is really great because it just seems to me like the Bills are, you know, maybe it's matchups, but things that I can't really tell, but they have different game plans for different games where wide receivers will be featured one week and then totally disappear the next week, not just Sanders. To me, Beasley is the biggest sort of, you know, victim of that, for lack of a better word. (laughs) He actually had five 100 yard games last season with the Bills, and he followed each of those games with 41 or fewer yards the next week. So, like, he has these pop up games where he looks like he's going to be, oh, like, this is great. Josh Allen's obviously a great quarterback. He can support multiple guys from a fantasy perspective. But to me, even though Knox was out of this game, I'm not taking it as a sign that Beasley is going to be his like primary target replacement. Wouldn't be shocked, like you said, if Gabriel Davis was kind of filling that void. Tommy Sweeney saw some targets last week. Emmanuel Sanders is big, big in the red zone so far this season. So like, I'm not trusting it at all that Beasley is going to have a good week just because you know Knox is out, just because they're playing the Jaguars or anything like that. To me, I would be very nervous to roll with him from a fantasy perspective, and I think last week could be a bit of a trap. I totally agree. Uh, From a DFS side of things, therefore, I'm kind of looking a bit at the Jaguars. I know this isn't a great matchup for them. The Bills have the number one DVOA defense and pass defense. But I'll point out that Dan Arnold, you know, he's very inexpensive pretty much across the board in the DFS platforms. Uh, And I've always liked him from a skills perspective. He actually had 13 yards per catchable target from 2018 to 20, was fourth best among tight ends up there with guys like Gronk and George Kittle, but really never got a lot of run, has actually been traded four times now. But since landing on the Jaguars, he's now played 62% or more of snaps the last three weeks and seen an 18.4% target share since week five. That's the ninth highest among tight ends. So I think his salaries you know, like it's not so much about the matchup. I think it's, they're just kind of lagging behind what I think Arnold's role is going to be for the Jaguars missing guys uh, in the offense, like DJ Chark. Do you think that Arnold is maybe on the verge of a bit of a fantasy breakout? Or do you think that that's just kind of what happens with tight ends sometimes? Well, I don't like this matchup. I believe the bills have Mm -hmm. only allowed two touchdowns to the tight end position so far this season. But if we're looking at the Jacksonville offense, the most consistent piece of it has been the tight end that they traded for early in the season, right? Like there's been nothing consistent, <laughs> nothing reliable here. And yet it does look like Dan Arnold from a target perspective, especially mm-hmm. in such a volatile position, is proving to be that security blanket 
that the young signal caller is reaching for regularly that in fact he needs to find some stability and improve on his decision making and accuracy like it's just a great binky for him I think probably what the team had hoped that Travis Etienne Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, there's definitely like a feeling that ETN has that uh, Dan Arnold doesn't. But like, I think <laughs> yes. that that was kind of kind of the, uh, you know, the the dump off um, check down option that we thought that a rookie quarterback would need. And it's turning out to be the tight end that was in Carolina and frankly was providing a similar thing to Sam Darnold. So we shouldn't have been too surprised by it. Um, and for DFS, again, I don't really like the matchup, but. In Yahoo's game, he is just $13. And again, for context, that's a dollar less than CJ Uzoma and $1 more than the aforementioned Tommy Sweeney. Yeah, I mean, compared to Uzoma specifically, I think that's a really better value. Uzoma is leading tight ends with five touchdowns this season, but those touchdowns have all come from like 20 or 30 yards away from the end zone. What I consider to be really fluke plays, by our expected touchdown metric, he actually has less than one expected touchdown this season. Uh, So I know it's a productive offense, but I don't think he's being nearly as featured as you might expect given his fantasy point total. Uh, Relative to him, I think that Arnold makes a lot of sense. All right, next on the docket, Vikings at Ravens, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Baltimore, 52 degrees and clear. Uh, Liz, do you think Marquise Brown is going to continue to be a wide receiver one in fantasy now that both Rashad Bateman and I think Sammy Watkins are both going to be able to play together for the first time this season? I do. I am bullish on him, and I am bullish on him particularly because di- didn't particularly because Daniil Hunter is mm-hmm. not available. And now, obviously, he's a defensive end, not a cornerback. But I think that relievely, I also think that he is like the cog by oh, which yeah. the entire Vikings offense is able to function. And if he is not in the as in the equation for the Vikings, I think everything else kind of crumbles. And I also think Lamar Jackson has a heck of a lot more time now to find mm-hmm. Hollywood Brown and make that connection. I think, I mean, there's an over under a 49 and a half in this game. If there were two teams that you could guarantee five quarters of play from, <laughs> it is these two teams. I will take the over on that. And I think that Hollywood, Hollywood Brown is past the drop issues that he uncharacteristic. Well, I shouldn't say under, uncharacteristically, maybe uncharacteristic for the matchup against the Lions, but we know yes. that he doesn't always have the softest hands. But I think he's <laughs> past those issues now, and they're just going to be so much volume in this matchup that I am absolutely bullish on him. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the pass rush angle because I think given the offensive line concerns the Ravens had, I I was kind of afraid it was going to be more of last year for the Ravens this year. Last year, Lamar Jackson threw just 42.8% of his aimed passes to wide receivers. That was the lowest among all starting quarterbacks. I mean, there was a lot of buzz out there. I know Mike Tenier wrote in the Football Outsiders Almanac about how Lamar just really didn't look outside the hash marks to attack down the field last season. But this season, it's been a totally different story. Uh, he's middle of the pack. Um, I, I wrote down the wrong target share number, but I think it's in about 55% of his passes are going toward wide receivers this season. So I think that he actually can support multiple wide receivers here and keep Brown in the top 10 among wide receivers, even though that really wasn't his game in, in previous seasons. And, you know, drops aside, as you mentioned, Brown has had a great, you know, line of 25% target shares, 15th highest among wide receivers. He's got six touchdowns, pretty well supported by 4.1 expected touchdowns on the season. So I think all the signs point to him continuing to have a lot of value the rest of the way. And if the Vikings can't really stop Lamar with the pass rush, I don't know how they're going to stop guys like Brown from getting loose and maybe scoring a touchdown this game. 
Uh, on the DFS angle of things, uh, maybe not as many guys jump out to me, but I will say Tyler Conklin uh, is one of those cheaper tight end options that I think makes some sense. He's $700 underpriced in my mind in DraftKings. Uh, Conklin isn't a tight end one in, in my mind, uh, but you know, 14.2% target share is the 16th highest among tight ends. So he's kind of up there a little bit ahead of guys like Tyler Higby and Hunter Henry that I think maybe have better reputations from a fantasy perspective. And while the Ravens have you know kind of consistently been great options for, for defenses in previous seasons, they do seem to have a bit of a hole in defending tight ends this year. They boost tight end yards and touchdowns per target by 10% and 63%. It seems like Patrick Queen hasn't quite lived up to his first round draft billing yet. And, and Malik Harrison, you know, he had the, the strange, like took a straight bullet situation this last week. Haven't heard a lot of updates on that, but I mean, I'm assuming he's going to miss some time. So it may be a struggle for the Ravens to defend Conklin specifically. What are your thoughts on that angle? Oh my gosh, Scott, we are vibing when it comes to peach season. Absolutely. I love Conklin. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about a steady volume of targets for a tight end. Conklin certainly fits the bill. He's averaging five looks per game. That's the tight end 11 for that statistical category. You mentioned uh, about the uh, mentioned the, the matchup being friendly. Mm -hmm. The Ravens over seven games have given up six touchdowns to a tight end. So every mm -hmm. week you're practically guaranteed a score. I think there's going to be, especially if we're talking about this being a lot of back and forth and taking the over on yeah, the yeah. line, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Conklin. He's, you know, a nice soft pillow. Uh, I believe when actually when Kyle Rudolph, when, when Kirk Cousins came to the Vikings, he said that throwing to Kyle Rudolph was like throwing into a mattress. Well, Kirk Cousins <laughs> has his new mattress and it is Tyler Conklin. Absolutely agree. Um, on the YouTube chat, CCX3 asked, do you still like the Vikings defense without Daniil Hunter? Let's take that as a broader question because I, I mean, nobody's going to want to start a defense against the Ravens in fantasy. But broadly speaking, I mean, I really don't. I know last season the Vikings suffered a lot of injuries, so it's it's hard to say whether Daniil Hunter was sort of the key cog or whether it was Eric Kendricks or whoever else. But to me, like they have a lot of weaknesses in the secondary, and so they really were relying on the, on the pass rush to sort of make it work for all of their defense. So I don't think I'm going to be liking them as a top 10 option in fantasy the rest of the way. Do you feel the same way, Liz? I completely agree. If there is a game in which Kirk Cousins is throwing for over 35, if he's throwing the ball over 35 times, then you mm. know the defense isn't working because Mike Zimmer never wants that to happen. That's absolutely true. Uh, thanks again for the question. Again, we're, we're live 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday with Football Outsiders up on YouTube where you can ask us questions. Also on Twitch, on Twitter, and on Facebook. Uh, let's move over to the 4 p.m. window, Liz. We've got the Chargers and Eagles, 405 in Philadelphia, 54 degrees and clear. I was really wrong about this last week when I thought that Kenneth Gainwell <laughs> might have a good fantasy day. Oh, we all were, Scott. We Turns out were. Boston Scott and uh, Jordan Howard ran for four combined touchdowns. Uh, but my question for you is, do you think you can trust Boston Scott going forward for as long as Miles Sanders is out? Uh, to me, like it was great that he had the big week last week, but there obviously were matchup-related issues there with the Lions. It may have just been a really good week to start him. Now I'm not really not sure what to do. Well, the Chargers are a really good matchup, too. I mean, That's the true. issue, though— is Nick Sirianni. I mean, he went from letting Miles Sanders carry the ball twice to finally giving him the <laughs> ball and then Sanders gets hurt. And then I do think this is instructive for a matchup we're going to talk about a little bit later, but just because the team's receiving back who happens to be working as the number two while the early down option is healthy doesn't mean that when that early down option is no longer mm. healthy is all of a sudden going to be elevated to a different role. Clearly, Nick Sirianni believes that 
is not a between the tackles rusher that he should not be carrying the ball. I don't know why he thinks Boston Scott would be that, but fine. Um, and that he is the preferred third down option. Um, also, Jordan Howard came in here, right? Like, I think that <laughs> Jordan Howard, that and he, there's familiarity with the team. And so it seems to me that Nick Sirianni has a belief about what skill sets work for running backs given particular times and that nobody is going to is going to manage all of it. That being said, I, I mentioned that this matchup is really, really friendly. So are you going to roll out Boston Scott? I'm a little bit hesitant to, but if I had to, my excuse would be because of the matchup. Again, mm-hmm. it's not something I'm interested in doing. And I frankly, I mean, if I was like just chasing touchdowns because I absolutely believe that char- the Chargers will give up at least one rushing score, I might do the thing that I always say you shouldn't do <laughs> and just throw out Jordan Howard and pray for like seven. I mean, I could understand that, honestly, because last week in our numbers, Howard actually led the backfield with 1.1 expected rushing touchdowns versus 1.0 for Scott and 0.2 for Gainwell. So like if you asked me which of these was the most likely to score, I think I'd probably agree with you. I also agree with you that the Chargers have been a great matchup for running backs. They're number 32 in run defense DVOA this season. They increased run plays by 19% per game. Although I am a little bit afraid that that might not play the same way for the Eagles. Again, like if the Chargers can score and build a lead, there could be game script concerns counteracting what have been the broader trend so far this season. Yeah, it's tricky because yeah, like what you said is absolutely true a lot of the time about how running backs, like just because they're the number two back, they may have a more specialized role than when yeah. the number one starter gets out. But I mean, it's weird because both Gainwell and Scott are both really small. I mean, at least yeah. in terms of height, they're like 5'9 and 5'10 maybe. And I've kind of always made the case that like, you know, guys that are 200 pounds, if they're taller, that means they're probably slight of build. But both Scott and Gainwell kind of have compact builds where like, I think they probably could handle bigger volumes of work than they typically see in the NFL. So I think I maybe fell into the trap too much of thinking what Gainwell could do as a player and not thinking enough about what the Eagles might choose to do. But I mean, it doesn't really make me feel better about trusting Scott this week because I still can't get beyond the fact that the Lions game might have been an anomaly. The Eagles won by 38 points. They had a lot of opportunities to run the ball in that game. And earlier in the season, they were running 14 non-quarterback carries per game. That was with Miles Sanders healthy. That was by far the lowest among uh, all the NFL teams. So like, what if if this week they're back to running, you know, Jalen Hurts and, and running the screen game as a sort of de facto run game? None of these guys may end up having value in fantasy. And that that's what really scares me away from Scott more than the role in the offense. Uh, from a DFS perspective, I do say I would trust the Eagles tight end Dallas Goddard. He's 4500 in DraftKings. I think that's $400 underpriced there. He's set season highs with five and seven targets the last two weeks and 70 and 72 receiving yards the last two weeks. Those are both since Zach Ertz got traded to the Cardinals. So I think he's kind of increased his number one tight end role even over what it was before. Plus the Chargers, in addition to being a good matchup for running backs, they increased tight end yards and touchdowns per target by about 50% per uh, a piece. So I think this is a good matchup for him too. I actually have Goddard as my third tight end from a fantasy perspective this week. And I think that probably helps him out in a lot of formats. Do you think he makes a lot of sense in Yahoo oh, as well? Absolutely. The Chargers mm-hmm. defense, uh, we we know the book on them right now. They're, they want to eliminate all explosive plays. You want to run on them? That's fine. You want to dink and dunk on them? That's fine. Um, and that's what Goddard does. Like I, mm-hmm. there is no way that that Devonta Smith is returning on all of those air unrealized air yards this week. It's not going to happen. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I also am like just generally concerned that everyone who's been riding this is off topic. But since we're talking about the matchups, that everyone who's been riding Jalen Hurts, who is not a good quarterback in the NFL. 
True. Um, but is a great quarterback in fantasy, might not be benched for Gardner Minshew relatively soon. And then and then what? Like I would just make secondary plans. Yeah. I mean, I've been kind of rolling with that all season. He looks really bad in like the intermediate and deep parts of the field in particular. Um more toward the middle of the field than the outside, I guess. So like, yeah, like those are the throws that I tend to think of as being the sort of NFL throws a quarterback needs to make. So it, it would be a real uh, game changer, I guess, for people if he got benched just in time for the fantasy playoffs and yeah. you lost the number one or two fantasy quarterback or whatever it was. Uh, useful Baker uh, in the YouTube chat points out that he's an Eagles fan. He says he wouldn't be trusting Boston Scott to get the majority of the carries. He reads this kind of like the Colts in 2018 and 2019 when it was kind of week to week who might be the top running back for the team. Uh, we were kind of talking about that similarly with kind of the vintage New England Patriots being a situation. Maybe we don't feel that way about the Patriots this season. But uh, Baker, I kind of agree with you too. So I would be nervous to, to kind of roll with him this week unless it was more of a, like a mashup related flyer. All right, a few more games to hit. We're to the 425 games now. Packers at Chiefs, 425 in Kansas City, 67 degrees and clear, 15 mile per hour wins. Uh, the, the big news, maybe the biggest news of the week, honestly, is that Aaron Rodgers tested positive for COVID is going to miss this game. Last week, we saw kind of the opposite situation where Rodgers was playing without Devontae Adams mm -hmm. uh, and Alan Lazar because they were on the COVID list. Uh, this week, you have probably the opposite. I'm pretty sure Devontae Adams is going to play. But Liz, how do you think Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones are going to fare from a fantasy perspective with the potential downgrade, presumed downgrade from Rodgers to Jordan Love at quarterback? It's interesting because I think that Devontae Adams in particular, that his ceiling is capped. I'm not as worried about Aaron Jones because I think probably the volume will be there mm -hmm. enough. And also the matchup for a running back is really, really friendly. We know the Chiefs like to be run on, so that's fine. Sure. I, like in DFS, am I rolling out Devontae Adams? No, not at the price that he was established with ahead of the Rodgers news breaking. So, uh, But I'm also believing, I do believe that Devontae Adams can drag Jordan Love into production. When I look at Legereus Sneed, who's the Kansas City Chiefs leading cornerback, he has 479 snaps on this season, he's allowing a passer rating mm -hmm. of nearly 120%. That's the quarterback 142 so, uh, <laughs> yes, like the Chiefs defense is going to be – they looked better last week against Daniel Jones and a completely beat-up receiving core. Mm -hmm. Fine. They they get Melvin Gordon. Will he make an immediate – an impact? Yes. An immediate impact? Ah, I'm not so sure. These things don't always happen overnight. So, you know, I, I think right now I'm still going to roll with Devontae Adams. I'm still going to put him inside my top 12. He's just going to be a low-end wide receiver one. And – Aaron Jones is $30 in Yahoo DFS along with Austin Eckler, who, you know, we talked about the matchup last week. Obviously, the Eagles are quite generous against the run as well. Like, I like Aaron Jones is 30 bucks. I'm going to try to um, I'm going to try to tweak my lineup so that I can afford to put him in there. Yeah, I agree with you on the Jones side of things. And the Chiefs are number 30 in DVA run defense. So, like, I could really see the Packers trying to ride Jones and keep this kind of a closer game than you might expect with love with Adams. You know, I'm a little bit less sure, honestly, and it's tough. So much of this is because we don't really know how, how Jordan love is going to fare. Like if this was Trevor Simeon, even we would have some like history in the NFL to go on, but it's tricky if we don't know if love is going to be like, you know, a passable NFL starter or not in his first career start. But I will say that Adams, if you're willing to kind of go back to 2017, that was the, the last time that Rogers missed extended time. And if you do a comparison there of Adams with other quarterbacks versus Adam with Rogers since, 
Uh, it was, you know, 20.9 PPR points per game with Aaron Rodgers since 2017, 16.3 PPR points per game without him. And that, that latter number would have him 18th among wide receivers so far this season. So, you know, that wasn't necessarily Adams at the peak peak of his powers from a prime perspective, but I think he did go on to make the Pro Bowl either that year or the next year. So I think there's definitely going to be a drop. And for me, like when you're talking about the like tippy top prices from a DFS perspective, I don't love it because even going from say like the number one wide receiver in a DFS platform to, you know, 15th or so is usually a drop of around $2,000. That's more of the DraftKings and and FanDuel type of pricing than anything else. So, you know, even though it's very possible that Love will kind of focus on Adams and leave some of the other receivers behind. I don't think I love him this week at, at still the inflated prices. It probably would have helped if we had known before the week, before those prices got set, that Rodgers mm-hmm. was out. Uh, and that would make him a little more sense from a fantasy perspective. Now, Liz, saying all of that, I think Jordan Love is interesting from a yes. DFS perspective. Because, <laughs> again, like we didn't know he was going to be the starter going into the week. So basically, he's priced dramatically cheaper than all the other starting quarterbacks. High risk strategy, obviously, but do you have any optimism that Love could have success from a fantasy perspective, or do you think it'll kind of all center? Okay, good. (laughs) Well, come on. I mean, he led my sleepers column this week. If we can't have Taysom Hill at 22, Mm -hmm. give me Jordan Love at the minimum $20. Like, I know I mentioned earlier, he only has seven career career pass attempts to his name, Mm -hmm. but like, that's that much less tape that the Chiefs which we've already talked about being a generous defense has to manage against. And he's also, whatever you believe about Devonte Adams, he's Devonte Adams is still an excellent wide receiver who can drag Jordan love into production. Aaron Jones still catches a bunch of passes. <laughs> Alan Lazard is going to be back. Like there are opportunities here. And I know that Jordan love decision-making was never necessarily his calling card coming out of college. There were a bunch of interceptions that people like to mention all the time. But he's been sitting behind Aaron Rodgers here, hopefully learning. And again, I'm just not 100% sure that we aren't going to see a completely baffled Chiefs defense that is focusing so hard on getting their stuff together, not know what to do because they're not, they've Mm -hmm. been sitting here game planning against Aaron Rodgers. This is like a high ticket, this is a priority game, right? A look ahead game. And now they're like, what? How how are we going to prepare for this? So I think that Jordan Love, like, listen, I don't have him ranked inside my top 15, but if sure. we're looking for value and we're going to take a flyer, <laughs> do I think that he could flirt with top 15 numbers? Could he be the QB 18 on the week? Could he be the QB 17 on the week? Could he pass for like against the Chiefs? I don't know, 270 yards and two touchdowns and then manage a couple of like, could he score maybe 30 rushing yards? Because we know he's got some ability and uh, some mobility and the ability to extend plays with his legs. I don't think that that's impossible. Completely agree. Love him at his, his inexpensive prices this week. It's a, it's a really fun counter play. Uh, Liz, a couple more games to hit. Question, do you have a hard out coming up at two? Oh, no, I'm fine. Okay, great. Let's finish these off then. We've got the Cardinals at 49ers, 425 in San Francisco, 58 degrees and clear. Uh, Liz, do you think Kyler Murray's relatively poor career history versus the 49ers oh is a specific concern for you. He's played the team five times so far in his career, has yet to throw for 250 yards in any of those games, has thrown for two, two, one, zero, and one total touchdowns in those games, but had better success as a rusher. So what are your thoughts about him in the in the matchup specifically? It's the last thing you said, had better mm-hmm. success as a rusher. Well, okay. that I would be less worried about if he didn't have a sprained ankle. Fair point. Like, now I'm like, well, none of it works. None of it looks great. 
I mean, honestly, I feel the same way. He's he's got yeah. one one six, ten, and twenty one rushing yards the last four games. And kind of we kind of saw something like this from him toward the end of the season last year, where like the rushing totals and and like per carry stuff went down and to me i'm kind of wondering if he's Mm -hmm. kind of playing through it like i I know he's able to play and it presumably will play this weekend but like to me it's a major concern and it's really the underpinning of his fantasy value if he's not doing it through the air and and on the ground together he's really more of a pedestrian quarterback one than he is like a top flight one if you're combining that with the fact that he's had a poor track record against this team like I'm not benching him in a traditional format, but I think especially in like a DFS sense, like it's just not worth the prices this week. Um, I'd rather wait and see if he can maybe heal up and maybe face some easier teams. Uh, so to me, like from a DFS perspective, it's the guy that I've been kind of riding this whole year for for the 49ers is Elijah Mitchell, 5,800 in DraftKings. It's it's getting better. I just see that as $400 underpriced, but I'm really not sure why it's taking as long as it is for the DFS platforms to catch up. Mitchell's played 60% of offensive snaps or more in all five of his healthy starts. He's taken 17 to 19 carries in his four healthy starts when Jimmy Garoppolo has been the quarterback. Yeah, like to me, it all makes sense. I guess it's just the reluctance of the fact that he was a, a round six draft pick and Trey Sermon was maybe expected to be the guy. But I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts? Does it make sense in Yahoo too? Well, I think it's the rib issue is is also depressing. Okay. Um, the excitement surrounding him. I mean, he did, I believe, miss. He was limited in practice in back to back days. Um, so there's that, and you know, Debo's dealing with a calf strain. If we're thinking about like sneaky flyers and buying the dip, if you will, like. Mm-hmm. Maybe Ayuk, seven targets at Chicago. George Kittle <laughs> is back and not healthy. Debo's not healthy. Yep. Like uh, Arizona might be caught off guard. Um, so, uh, you know, if I'm looking for a really deep value that no, that is a contrarian play, especially mm-hmm. at this point, people, a lot of people in redraft have dropped, dropped Ayuk. I think yep. that would be my upside play. I like it. Actually, you were just saying that right when Joey Sucks on the YouTube comments asked, do you buy the breakout for Ayuk? And kind of do. Like His last two weeks have been his season highs in terms of snap share. And while the actual fantasy production hasn't been what it was during his sort of peak stretch last year, head coach Kyle Shanahan had very complimentary things to say about him after the game and kind of termed it as a turning of the corner type breakout time for the for the guy even though the production wasn't there so i could sort of see that too especially if any of these other primary weapons ends up being inactive uh just make sure you sort of protect yourself given that this game is 425 you may not have the other options to switch in for him in a fantasy league if everybody ends up playing which i would probably like him a little bit less if debo played if you know if you know what i'm saying uh, next up, we're moving on to the Sunday night game. We got the Titans at Rams, 820 Eastern, Los Angeles in the Dome. Uh, there have actually been quite a few major storylines this week in retrospect. Yeah. Uh, here's is maybe the saddest one for me, that Derrick Henry is probably going to be out for the rest of at least the regular season. Liz, do you think Adrian Peterson can even come close to what Henry meant to the Titans' offense beyond even his own, own fantasy value? I don't think he can come close to what Derrick Henry was doing, but I do think that yeah. that job the role that Henry had in the offense now belongs to Adrian Peterson. And I can Mm -hmm. even beyond that, imagine a scenario where, and this is where timing comes into play. (laughs) I can imagine a situation where Adrian Peterson works his way into, I don't know, 12 to 14 carries a week. Mm -hmm. Um, The question for me is whether that happens this week, 
yeah. or whether the team relies on Jerry McN- uh, Jeremy McNichols in this immediate transition, especially after we just saw the Kenneth Gainwell situation unfold. Like, <laughs> a great point. I'm a little bit more hesitant to be like, oh, well, McNichols is the number two. But then again, just like Jordan Howard was uh, resurrected from the <laughs> fantasy dead, here comes old Adrian Peterson. And if, by the way, there was, uh, a veteran running back with a skill set able to fill this role. It is him. It's it's kind of weird how well Peterson would seem to fit with this offense versus pretty much any other offense in the league. Like Peterson, obviously, never been much of a receiving threat. The Titans don't really rely on at least their primary running back as a receiving threat. That's really more McNichols' role. He's more of a Gainwell type of receiving back. You know, he's he's much better running from under center as a bigger, like slower, but accelerating back. It would make sense to me that he would want to be in an offense that like wasn't trying to run zone read handoffs, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the Titans love to run under center because it sets up their play action game, the preferred way they like to throw the ball. And while Peterson isn't like the the freak of nature that that Henry is, six foot three, two hundred and forty-seven pounds, he's still really big for a back, six foot one, two hundred and twenty pounds. It like you don't have to squint that hard for it to make a lot of sense. And while I'm kind of like you, where I'm worried that what if it's not necessarily this week, you know, I am kind of taking the plunge. I'm ranking him 20th in true talent and 21st among my running backs this week, thinking that he's going to be primarily the guy much more so than McNichols, who I think is probably going to at least long-term stick in more of his like receiving back role. So like, I think I would roll the dice and I would definitely roll the dice on Peterson in a DFS perspective where kind of like the Jordan Love thing we mentioned earlier, he kind of came in later in the week where like, you know, the, the DFS platforms just weren't expecting him and mm-hmm. didn't price him like he was going to be a potential starting running back. Peterson's only $4,500 in FanDuel. So I think even if Peterson's getting 10 to 12 touches this week, that would be a potential for a huge value, uh, especially since you would think that at the very least, he would probably get a lot of the work near the goal line if the Titans can get there. That is exact. And by the way, when you're looking at the Rams, like they're a better matchup on the ground than they are through the air. So mm-hmm. this does set up nicely for um, for the Titans to at least like move into the next iteration of their offense. Yeah, I know like people that followed Football Outsiders last year probably noticed that the Rams were number two in run defense DVOA and were like kind of threatening the Bucks as a big run stopping team. But that really hasn't held over this very much this season. They're more middle of the pack in run defense, even with Aaron Donald there. So this is not as scary of a run matchup as you might expect. And so I think Peterson is somebody you can you can rely on as risky as it may seem. I think the the like reward could be potentially great at his, his inexpensive price. Yeah, I like his value in DFS. I did want to ask you before we Mm. move on. I'm just curious, in your regular redraft week nine ranks, where are you putting Peterson? So I have him 21st at the position this week. Uh, That's that's from a PPR perspective. So like even in some other formats, he might even be more valuable. So it's it's not like you're you're slam dunk number one like Henry was, but I'm expecting him to get upwards of 80% of the carries for the team this week. So would you rather start Miles Gaskin or Adrian Peterson in redraft? So I think I'd probably rather start Miles Gaskin, but a lot of that actually is matchup related. Uh, I think I yeah. have Gaskin jumping up, you know, maybe from like 22nd or 23rd in true talent to maybe 17th or 18th this week. Um, and I've fallen into this trap before, assuming that the Dolphins might build a lead and get extra carries in the uh, second half. Like who knows if that's going to happen, if, even if it's against the Texans. Um, but I think from a week in week out perspective, the rest of the season, I think I'd probably rather have Peterson as, as strange yeah. as that is to think, given where we had these two players in the preseason, assuming Peterson probably would never 
never play again in the NFL, honestly. No, I agree with that assessment. I would probably start Gaskin. I have um, Peterson. I am the high. I'm highest on him in the Yahoo group. I have mm-hmm. him as like my RB30 in half point PBR. Uh, yep. PPR. So I'm a little bit behind you, but rest of season, certainly higher on him than Gaskin. Okay. Well, so good. We're on the same page. Makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> All right. One more game to hit. The Monday night game, Bears at Steelers, 815 on Monday in Pittsburgh, 55 degrees and clear. Uh, Liz, this may be a little bit of a stretch, but do you think Justin Fields is trending towards being startable in your shallower fantasy formats? Obviously, the passing efficiency hasn't been there. In particular, he's still taking tons of sacks and they have some offensive line problems there too. But I'll note that that Fields has really increased his rushing uh, volume, going from three, three, and three carries his first three starts to six, eight, and ten his last three starts. Rushing is such a huge component of fantasy value for quarterbacks that you could imagine a player with that profile being good from a fantasy perspective. But do you think Fields is going to be up there going forward? So I am a Bears fan. I grew up in Chicago. I'm a little bit biased. I will also say that I love Fields' trajectory moving forward as long as Matt Nagy stays out of the equation. Um, (laughs) But I do not think this is the matchup that we're Mm. going to see um, him move forward more. And particularly because Pittsburgh is so good against the run. They are uh, the sixth ranked they are the sixth ranked rush defense per football outsiders DVOA and for good reason. So I'm a little bit worried about the match. I'm a little bit worried about this being on the road, frankly, too, at Heinz field. Um, yeah, and so for agreed. that reason, I would probably steer away from him. And when you have such exciting player, like, could you start to a tongue of Iloa instead? Absolutely. Would I start even mm-hmm. Tyrod Taylor ahead of field yes. because of the agreed. matchup? Absolutely. I completely agree with you from a, from this week's perspective, but I, I did want to kind of just bring it up that Fields over the last two weeks is 27.3% carry share. That would be third among quarterbacks for the season behind just Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts. So like you don't necessarily have to be a great, you know, passing efficient quarterback to have fantasy value with that profile. So this may be a good week to check out how much he does try to run the ball. And if it kind of stays high as a number, maybe keep your eye on him for the second half of the season as a player that could really break out down the stretch. Uh, Liz, I love I, that. Uh, by the way, I think that's a really, really smart um, analysis because he's only rostered in 25% of Yahoo mm-hmm. leagues. And this might be your backup for when Jalen Hurts eventually gets the yank and you've gotten so used to the cheat code. Um, he does <laughs> that's have right. a weekend vibe. <laughs> he, he does still have like Detroit and Green Bay left um, for matchups. Absolutely. Liz, it's good that you're a Bears fan here because you can maybe help me unpack this. I have Khalil Herbert listed as a nice DFS value, but now I'm starting to get worried that David Montgomery might actually get activated from IR this week, which is a really tricky situation with this game being on Monday night. But I was kind of assuming that since the Bears are on by in week 10, they might give Montgomery the extra time to rest. But do you have any particular insight on what the Bears may try to do at running back this week? Oh, well, rational coaching would lead me to believe (laughs) that Montgomery would sit. But again, everything is irrational in Chicago. So, But yes, I am with you on Khalil Herbert. And I know people are going to say, well, she just talked about the matchup against the number six ranked rush defense per DVOA (laughs) and Khalil Herbert. But yeah, did you see what he did against Tampa Bay? And better than the 100 rushing yards against the Bucks run defense, which is pretty good. He also converted five of five through the air mm. for 33 receiving yards, and that was not something we were anticipating in his skill set. True. Yeah, it seems to me like while I kind of assumed that more of an even split with he and Damian Williams, like whether it was COVID, whether whatever, maybe it's the, the knee, knee injury. 
like he, it just seems like Herbert has really taken a huge advantage of his opportunities. And to me, I think is clearly the guy if Montgomery is going to miss more time. So I would definitely trust him independent of matchup for all of that. It's just a question about Montgomery. Unfortunately, it's a bit of a risk. Hopefully you have Montgomery if you have Herbert and you can kind of play it a little bit by ear. But uh, if, if you get maybe get word before the Sunday matchups start that, that Montgomery is going to be out, then in that case, I think Herbert remains a really good value. All right, that covers all the games. We have a couple questions to hit on from the YouTube chat before I let you go, Liz. Uh, for, for James Hicks and Scott Christian, who are asking about like who's going to benefit from Beckham being out, we hit on a lot of those topics earlier in the show. So I would encourage you to go to Football Outsiders, check out the stream after the fact. We have it up on YouTube. You can also listen to us on the Football Outsiders podcast network and get a review of this show. So that'll hopefully help you out. And then question here from Joey Sucks. Uh, has Aaron Darnold started to slip at all? Or is it related to other players being worse around him? Or is the difference just standard regression to the mean? Well, like what I would sort of say here, and I don't know if Liz has a different perspective, is it was always a bit of a shock that the Rams had as good of a run defense as they did last season. Because with Brandon Staley in there as a defensive coordinator, they really relied heavily on two high safeties, like a defensive scheme that's sort of built to stop explosive passes down the field and not so much stop the running game. It was like a total freakish situation that Darnold was Donald was as good as he was last year and was able to stop the run. So I would say that like I would honestly expect the Rams with that strategy to typically have a more average run defense. And it's and it's honestly a credit to Donald that they do have that good because their defense is really more designed to stop the pass. What are your thoughts, Liz? I mean, I also think that um, how do defensive players get financial bonuses? It's not by stopping the run, it's by sacking the quarterback. <laughs> Fair and point. Right now the Rams defense leads the league in sacks with 25. Good luck, by the way, Ryan Tannehill, whose <laughs> offensive line has given up 24. Yikes. Uh, hate to say it, but he could be in the Justin Fields territory of sacks this week. <laughs> hate, to, hate to say it for your Bears fandom. Uh, Liz, it was a real pleasure to have you back on the show. You're obviously a, a great contributor at Yahoo, but tell everybody where they can find all of your work that's listening to us today. Yes, please. You can follow me on social media, both Twitter and Instagram at Liz Loza underscore FF. And we do a live show, 90 minute live video show. I should mm -hmm. add 90 minutes before kickoff every single Sunday. It's called Fantasy Football Live. It's Yahoo's flagship show. Myself, Matt Harmon, Tank Williams um, and Andy Barons are all on that. And yes, the thing I was most excited about this season, please check out Eckler's Edge every Thursday on Yahoo Sports. Myself and Austin Eckler, the Chargers running back, do a video show and we have on Crazy Yes, we've had on Rain Wilson from The Office, we've <laughs> had on Justin Herbert, uh, his backfield mate. Mm. Uh, next week, I think we might get Zach Moss. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I just did. So we talk fantasy and it is completely different. No place in the sports media landscape has had an active player talking fantasy on a weekly basis. I'm super proud of it. And I would love for everybody to check that out. Absolutely. Everybody check out all of Liz's work is tremendous. Everything at Yahoo, I think is a lot of really worth your time. Uh, meanwhile, again, as mentioned, you can check out Football Outsiders. We do the live streams from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday. You can chat with us live on YouTube. Also listen to us after the fact on the Football Outsiders podcast network. Uh, thanks so much for sticking with us this week. Uh, best of luck in your week nine matchups. And then we'll swing back next week to, to hit on the review and then talk about everything for week 10. Thanks so much for watching and listening.